Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. Every year, the City Council adopts a budget. That is an annual process, and annually, the city manager gives guidance in a proposed budget that is then debated and reviewed by said city council. Today, I'm joined by city manager Mike Joyle to talk about the FY24 budget. Mike, welcome. Thanks, Chris. Looking forward to uh, discussing what's going on with our budget process this year. So we've got a couple things to discuss on the budget. Uh, we've moved it up a little. There are certainly uh, elements to that, that we should talk about. Engagement in the budget is certainly something we want to talk about. But what I'd like to start off with is a statement you've made in the past, both here on this podcast and in general, and I think you made it on the 15th at your presentation to the City Council of the the FY24 budget, and that is that the budget is the number one policy document that the City Council reviews, endorses, however we want to phrase that. Can you go into that a little, what that means? Sure. The, The municipal budget obviously, is the, the source of funds that allows us to provide services to the community. Um, it is the means by which the uh, community, through its elected representatives, determines what level of taxation there will be in the community, uh, what fees and charges will be levied to ultimately generate the funds that pay for the services that are needed and wanted throughout the community. Um, and that's all done through the budget and the budget process and although it's a, a single approval process that uh, adopts the budget, that one process ultimately drives everything that we do in city government over the course of not only just a single fiscal year, because it is an annual fiscal year budget, but it drives what happens during that fiscal year and anticipates what will be happening in the community going forward replacing uh, equipment, building infrastructure, adjusting, making changes in services or service levels. And those are not just one-year items. So that budget document ultimately for the council is by far the most important decision that they make during their term in office. And, uh, and for that reason, as I've said, it is the most important policy that they deal with. One of the things that I think reinforces that here in Dover, having looked at other communities' budgets, is the level of detail that you and Dan Lynch make sure is in that budget. It's not a joke to say it's an 800-page document. We really have a lot of opportunity to show people what those policy decisions could be based on those line items. Well, for the longest time, um, now, as you know, I've been uh, here in the community for a long time, and I know that Dover, through the efforts of past city councils and past administrators, has committed itself to be as transparent as possible about all aspects of, of uh, our municipal government and certainly the finances uh, and what uh, what is being budgeted and how the funds that are being budgeted are going to be used. And one of the ways of being transparent is during the budgeting process, it's more than just looking at a bunch of numbers on a single sheet of paper. It's looking at all the detail that from which those numbers are derived. And uh, the budget document has grown to be, um, it's it's over 800 pages in length. Um, and the reason for that is throughout the entire budget, there's a considerable amount of detail to the point, uh, which is which is unusual. We can actually itemize what we expect, anticipate to the extent that uh, we, uh, we can make an estimate. How many envelopes are we going to need? 
uh, for mailing water and utility bills during the course of the year? Uh, how much uh, chemicals are we going to need to treat uh, for public drinking water and the, and the city's uh, wastewater system? What are we going to need for parts, different types of parts? What are we going to use for fuels? All of that is quantified in the detail uh, of this document. Now, of course, much of it is, is certainly estimates, but it, they're estimates based on a real firm understanding in, in history that our staff have in uh, providing the services that they have. And that helps during the budget process because it helps inform. We're not just talking about, you know, a dollar here, a dollar there. We're talking about what those dollars are actually going to do uh, for the community. Yeah, it comes back to the idea that you make every dollar work. You, you provide a value to those dollars. One of the things that uh, has driven that point of view is looking at the tax or spending cap, depending on how you want to phrase it, plays into it. So this year, uh, was it a little bit more difficult or about the same to come up with a budget knowing that you moved it up a month, month and a half in regards to developing those tax cap calculations? Well, what you're referring to in, in um, our listeners may not be aware, but for the longest time, I mean, the 30 plus years that, that I've been associated with the city, the budget adoption has been keyed to June 15th. Uh, the budget is assembled. It's actually a year round process, but the actual budget review before the council starts usually in uh, early spring, usually around April, and uh, would complete and would have to complete um, by uh, provisions in our city charter by June 15th. And uh, over the years, that has presented some challenges, particularly for the school department, uh, by not knowing what their budget is going to be until late uh, in, in the, uh, the fiscal year, potentially right up until June 15th. There are decisions that have to be made uh, well before the end of the school year in anticipation of what's going to take place next year. And a lot of that has to do with staffing decisions, uh, recruiting, retaining existing teachers, recruiting new teachers. And so this past year... The uh, city council, um, in support of the school board, uh, made some changes so that um, we are now required by ordinance to submit uh, a budget to the city council for their review by February 15th every year. And then um, ultimately the council is on track and is required to adopt a budget by no later than April 15th. And that is so that the final budget for the coming year will be known, particularly for the school department, so they can make uh, whatever staffing decisions, whether it's hiring new teachers or uh, if, uh, unfortunately, if there was ever a reduction in force, those decisions can be made in a timely uh, way and not wait until the very end of the school year. When other communities have already hired uh, teachers and, and locked up staff that uh, we would have otherwise been able to compete for. Along that line, you mentioned that it's a year-round preparation process. To recap for the listener, the department heads are looking at their individual service areas, their individual operations, and proposing to you what they would like to see. And then you go through, take those into consideration, but also review them against larger priorities, the master plan, the city council goals, objectives, your own prioritization. What what it goes through your mind as you're you're doing those reviews and, and how do you balance? I know in the past you've said that you don't like uh, across the board cuts. How do you balance the different service needs and, and come up with a final budget? What's going through your mind? First off, the budgeting process is a year-round process. 
and it's not something that just happens during uh, a, a few weeks over the over the course of any given year. The review process. Uh, where the budget is actually being reviewed and then ultimately approved does occur over a few weeks, but the entire budget process is a year-round process. It starts first in June, usually in June, right after the budget has been adopted. Uh, we get right into capital improvements planning. We're looking at uh, out several years what major expenses uh, might be confronting the community for major utility constructions, street reconstructions, buildings, facilities, rehabilitations. Certainly still fresh on our mind is a brand new high school. That was a major capital improvements project that was planned for uh, over the course of several years. So that process goes on throughout the summer months into the fall, uh, involves uh, the planning board and uh, various citizen committees that, uh, that we have, and then ultimately a capital improvements plan, a multi-year plan is adopted by the city council. That feeds into the decision-making that goes into an annual budget. In the capital improvements plan, it identifies what pieces of equipment we might be replacing um, so we know, for example, uh, we may have a, a, a pick on community services, public works. They may have a backhoe piece of equipment that typically lasts 20 to 25 years, and it's coming due for replacement. Well, the capital improvements program anticipates that that expense will be coming uh, in a future year, and we can plan accordingly in the budget for that. And we also will know it doesn't make sense to continue investing repair dollars into an older piece of equipment when we know that we are going to replace that equipment. We've planned for the replacement of that equipment in the next year or the year after, as an example. Um, so that uh, is, is part of the, I guess, the rationale of why the budget uh, is a year-round process is that capital improvements planning uh, takes place. Over several months, through the summer months, then that feeds right into developing the annual budget, which the departments are actually doing also on a year-round basis. They're managing their existing year budget, but at the same time, uh, they're not leaving stones unturned. They're, they, our staff across the entire municipality, are constantly looking at ways to do things better, more efficiently, more effectively potentially changing the services that we provide, responding to particular needs that may exist in the community, which may require that we add services. And that all, those budget decisions are taking place during the course of the year. And that in and of itself informs what's going to be uh, in a subsequent year's budget. And then, of course, ultimately, when we uh, do actually sit down and actually put numbers on paper, the main thing that's driving uh, the development of the budget is the feedback that we receive from our customers. Uh, and that we get that in many different ways. Uh, certainly, we can tell by the demand of services, whether it be looking at you know, how many students do we have in the community that need to be educated in our public schools, how many calls for service can we typically expect for our ambulance or our fire trucks or law enforcement responses? What do we need for staffing to handle those calls in a timely and effective way? That is all information that's coming from our customers, whether they're calling for the services or whether they're actually uh, telling us that we want recreation programs. We want things like parks and community trails. We want clean drinking water. Uh, we want public safety. We want public education. Uh, we need these things. And that's that information combined with the, all of the other planning that has gone on ultimately feeds right into the development of the budget that, as of most recently, is sitting before the city council and uh, being reviewed. 
to me, there were two elements of the proposed budget that, that jumped out as uh, reaction to that public feedback that, that we receive on an ongoing basis. Uh, the first is, this is the first budget that I can remember that you're, you're proposing the ability to fully fund uh, street improvements to the level that the capital improvements plan has suggested. And the second is adding a building inspector to help address the ongoing development needs and pressure that we're seeing the inspection services office have of being responsive and in some ways being proactive about addressing code concerns. Those those two jumped out to me. Are, are those the two that you would point to or are there other elements of the proposed budget that you think are? Well, I think th- those are good examples of showing how different types of feedback from our customers informs what uh, is ultimately um, put into the proposed budget. So in the case of uh, street maintenance and pavement overlays, basically the uh, basic repairs to streets that are still in relatively good condition, this will be the first year that we are actually recommending and able to accommodate within the budget the full amount of funding that uh, prior engineering studies have told us is needed to not only maintain the existing conditions of roads that are still in relatively good shape, but to actually move up other roads that are in, in worse shape and get them back up to a uh, more acceptable level. That's going to be always an ongoing challenge, but this is the first year as a result of planning that has taken place over several years and incremental changes that have happened in, in past year's budgets as a result of that planning when we are actually able to bring the funding level up to what uh, our engineering studies have told us is needed to uh, uh, maintain and, and start making uh, progress on the conditions of the roads here in the city. The other uh, item has to do with the feedback from our citizens. I mean, clearly, not only the engineering analysis uh, that we had, but the feedback from residents, obviously road conditions, and uh, particularly when you get into some of the side residential streets and stuff like that, people that live on those streets, they know that many of those streets have not been touched for many, many years. Um, And they share that information with us through their requests for service, through comments during public hearings, public meetings, during development processes, whether it be before the planning board, if our development's going in. Um, and we hear and listen to that feedback, and that drives, hopefully, the decisions in this case to uh, get that uh, area of the budget up to a place where it needs to be. What's great about that element in particular, I think, is that it's a, a sign of the maybe not culmination, but evolution of a community that started from the place of of debt financing road repairs. I mean, there was a time where, as part of our capital improvements program, the road repairs were put on our credit card as opposed to in our operating budget. And we've moved away from that, and it's taken some time, but it's been a, a consistent theme of taking ownership of that element that you should be paying for operating costs out of operating budgets. And so this is a great culmination to see that. You must be proud of that from the standpoint of the, the amount of effort that it's taken to consistently have that message. Well, I'm proud that the community, um, our city mayor, city council, and, and residents in general um, have recognized and uh, embraced the need to have a series of financial policies and have the discipline to adhere to those financial policies because of the long-term benefit they have uh, to the community, both in terms of allowing us to appropriately or at least meet reasonable expectations for maintaining our infrastructure, um, not only today, but looking ahead to the future. Uh, and that would not have been possible 
if we had were using the financing practices that were uh, in play back in the 90s, um, the 80s, the 90s, uh, when I first came to the community in, in early 90s. Um, as you said, um, we were putting a lot of things on our credit card, so to speak. We were debt financing a tremendous amount of maintenance work, things that should be regular recurring expenses in a municipal budget. We were putting on our credit card and not only paying the principal, but we're paying the interest. And one of the main reasons for that, um, one of the main reasons for that was it was a means of artificially keeping tax bills low for that period of time. Ultimately, that bill comes due, and it did come due. Uh, it came due in the early 2000s when there was a concerted effort by the city council and a, a citizens committee that had been formed to look at our financial practices and understanding that they were not sustainable. And so those financial policies were developed, and one of the main policies was we should not be debt financing or putting regular maintenance items on our credit card. We shouldn't be using debt financing uh, for those items. And yes, I am proud of the fact that we uh, have been able to have the discipline uh, to adhere to our financial policies and moved away from not properly using the city's debt. And now, you know, it's used for what you might expect. Just like you get a mortgage to buy a house, we issue debt to build buildings or facilities or major infrastructure, water, sewer lines. We don't use debt to, well, you hopefully aren't using your credit card to buy groceries uh, or paint your house for that matter. Those are things that you're planning for, that you're budgeting for, and, and certainly if you have the wherewithal to do so. And saving that debt or the mortgage that you may have on your house for those bigger, longer-term expenses. And that's what we're doing in the community, is we're saving our debt for those bigger, more appropriate expenses. And we're using cash, if you will, to pay for the regular recurring needs that we have in the community. So, uh, so yes, I am proud that we've been able to do that. One of the other things I, I suspect you're proud of is, as you alluded to earlier, the transparency. And if you could talk a little bit about the budget revealed uh, resources that we have and how you and the staff communicate how the, the funding will be uh, spent if approved by the city council uh, through, I know we're doing workshops and things of that nature. How, how do you uh, encourage folks to understand what's in the budget besides reading the 800 pages? Yeah. And when you say 800 pages, that sounds very intimidating. And, and it can be when you look at that document and you start flipping through the pages, it, it looks very intimidating. But the, the reality is, is once you actually start to uh, go through the budget document and you understand that really it's 800 pages because it's taking a lot of the information and just presenting it in, in different ways, um, whether it be putting charts and tables and graphs and those sorts of things. Um, it's the same set of numbers. And then also in there is... There's a lot of detail, considerable amount of detail. Like I said, actual counts of envelopes and numbers of books and the amount of fuel that we expect to purchase over the coming year. All that detail is in that book. And so it can be a little overwhelming when you look at it. But the, the fact of the matter is it is pretty straightforward. When we present that information, we, we do so with the hope that it can be easily digested so that folks can, if they want to, they can dig into the details uh, and understand what uh, what it costs to uh, maintain and, and support the needs uh, of our community. And clearly the budget process 
uh, is an important way to do that. It, it's obviously, as I said, the important policy decision the council makes, but obviously it's an important policy decision that the community is concerned with. So through the internet, we're very fortunate that we have a very robust website and a, a section of our website is dedicated and uh, titled Budget Revealed. Uh, our media services folks, our finance department and other staff put a tremendous amount of effort into uh, updating and, and uploading information to that site so anyone can access it 24-7. And it, it's a wealth of information on all different aspects of the city, not just numbers, not just budget numbers, but metrics about what are and how many types of services are we delivering uh, on, a, on a monthly basis, how many uh, car registrations are being processed every month. How many dog licenses? How many people attended the ice arena? How many uh, miles of street uh, are we maintaining? All of that um, uh, is accessible uh, through the city website. And then the budget revealed portion of the website includes not only the budget document, but then all the presentations and all the supporting materials that uh, are come out as part of the, the, uh, the budget process. And uh, I suspect this podcast will be available, uh, or at least a link to this podcast will be available uh, on the Budget Revealed site, as are all of the, the meetings, uh, the public meetings that we have where uh, there's presentations uh, done by the department. And that's all part of being transparent and helping to engage and inform the public about what it is their municipality does, what it is that their taxpayer dollars pay for, and why. To wrap up, the, the public participation opportunities those special meetings, workshops, public hearings, those are all Wednesday nights when the council normally would meet. It would just be a, a weekly endeavor at this point. Basically, from the 1st through April 12th, the council has the opportunity, as we learned on the 15th, to adopt it on the 5th if they're ready. And if not, there's some, some fallback opportunity. But as you say, we have a wealth of information coming their way that the public is certainly going to be able to participate in either live or on Memorax through the, the website. Yeah, the, the um, I'm going to point to the budget revealed section of the website, but that will be the archive or the library, if you will, where people can go a one-stop shop, so to speak, to access uh, information about the municipal budget, the municipal budget process, uh, all the meetings that are taking place. But anytime over the next several weeks, uh, residents are encouraged to tune in on Channel 22, certainly uh, go to the website and watch replays of meetings, attend in person if, uh, if possible, use their email accounts to email city councilors or myself or any staff with suggestions, comments, questions that they may have about the budget process so we can help answer those um, and, and help uh, keep people informed. And then there will be specific opportunities in the, in the coming week where the public uh, is encouraged to actually come out to the public meetings and attend public hearings and offer their, their input or insight uh, into budget needs for the community. And uh, the city council uh, obviously is welcomes and encourages that input. If people have the ability to come out and attend the public hearings, that's certainly welcome, and that's what they're intended for. But people shouldn't feel that that uh, is the only way that they can have uh, input uh, in the process. And again, email, phone calls to city councilors, email to city councilors, phone calls, emails, uh, or even uh, visiting our offices in person. Our staff are uh, certainly readily available and, and willing to answer questions for the public as best they can. Great. Well, I appreciate you coming on today and walking the listener through what they can expect as part of the FY24 budget and its adoption. Any last words? No, I just uh, would encourage folks to uh, stay tuned and uh, 
certainly uh, not just through the budget process over the next several weeks, but throughout the course of the year. Just know that if our citizens have any feedback, concerns, questions, suggestions, we, we are very interested in hearing that, learning that. And there's any number of means that folks can communicate that to us, and I would just uh, ask them to continue to do so. Great. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks, and enjoy the day. Thanks, Chris. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. Have you heard about Williamsville? Most people today haven't. But in the early 1800s, Williamsville was its own thriving community in Dover. Nestled between Upper Factory Road, the Kachiko River, and 6th Street, then known as Brick Street, the Williamsville settlement was named after John Williams, who built Dover's first cotton mill in the area in 1814. Williamsville had just about everything its small community of seven homes needed, including a grist mill, machine shop, a blacksmith, and a storehouse. If you know where to look, in the woods between 6th Street and Upper Factory Road, you can still find some of the original cellar holes from those early homes. Over time, the cotton mill closed, most manufacturing moved downtown, and the land that once housed Williamsville lay dormant for many decades. Much of the land remained in the hands of one of Dover's oldest families, the Ham family, for generations. But in the 1990s, a large tract of that land was sold, and it wasn't long before Dover knew what was next for the property. This week, in February 1996, Dover's City Council and Planning Board both had their first look at plans by Liberty Mutual to build a sprawling 250,000-square-foot office complex and 20,000-square-foot publishing plant on the 225 acres of land it had earlier purchased off 6th Street. At the time, the $25 million project was the largest in the state of New Hampshire. Liberty Mutual, which was then leasing nearly 240,000 square feet at Kachiko Falls Millworks, said 1,200 people would work at the new facility on 6th Street. In anticipation of construction of the new facility, Liberty Mutual pledged $600,000 toward improvements to the 6th Street connector, now called Indian Brook Drive, which would include additional turning lanes, road and bridge widening, and improvements to Exit 9 of the Spalding Turnpike. The city and state also funded road and utility upgrades. Construction began in April that year, and alone generated 300 construction jobs in the area. Part of the project also included the removal of eight vacant homes on the Liberty Mutual land. The homes were donated to the city by Liberty Mutual and removed to a new location as part of a project that provided low- to moderate-income housing for first-time home buyers. Those homes, located on Wilbrod Avenue and Alder Meadows, continue to contribute to Dover's tax base today. The announcement of Liberty Mutual's massive project sparked new commercial development on the city's north end, which began with interest from a national hotel chain in 1996 and was followed by significant commercial and retail development in the coming years. By the fall of 1997, construction of the entire Liberty Mutual campus at 100 Liberty Lane was complete. For the next 10 years, Liberty Mutual continued to thrive in Dover and, in 2007, expanded again with the construction of an even larger 350,000-square-foot building called Dover West. The $50 million project included additional improvements to the Spalding Turnpike, Indian Brook Drive, and 6th Street. The project created another 200 construction jobs. By that time, Liberty Mutual employed 1,250 people in the facilities constructed in 1996 and planned to add more than 2,000 employees at Dover West. 
In addition to Liberty Mutual's contributions to road and utility improvements on the North End, the company also sponsored and underwrote numerous local events and fundraisers. In 2007, Liberty Mutual donated land for the construction of a new fire station on the city's North End, the need for which had been discussed for years. With the donation of the land, construction of the new station, the Liberty North End Fire Station, would be completed in November of 2008. Liberty Mutual would become the city's second largest employer and its biggest taxpayer. In 1999, its property was assessed at $18.3 million and its tax bill was $536,000. This year, in 2023, the 100 Liberty Way property is assessed at nearly $70 million, with a tax bill of $1.4 million, or nearly 2% of the city's overall taxable assessed property value. It's fair to say that Liberty Mutual has contributed significantly to Dover's economy and community. But that will soon change. Last month, the company announced it would close up shop in Dover and move its employees to its Portsmouth location, and would put its Dover campus on the market in the near future. With that major announcement, we thought we would do something a little different on This Week in Dover History. In addition to looking back at the past, we asked the city of Dover's deputy city manager, Chris Parker, heads up the Office of Business Development, what the future might look like. Thanks, Mike. So what we know is that the pandemic probably accelerated some of the activities that were already occurring in the business world, particularly in the office sector, with a lot more work from home and a lot more flexibility in time management. And Liberty Mutual, as many businesses, has not been in their site full time since the spring of 2020. And over that time, we've been thinking ahead about what might happen. I've asked staff to pull together some resources and and work with each other as well as work with the state and be ready when Liberty calls or when a potential buyer calls and says, okay, here's 270 acres, what can we do? Planning Director Donna Benton is pulling together some resources to do a charrette and a charrette is rooted in the French idea of, of design and creativity and what you do is you gather stakeholders and you brainstorm what potential things could happen and so Donna is pulling together the planning team as well as some outside resources to look at the zoning the land use the environmental constraints things of that nature at the same time Ken Maverick George our city engineer is reviewing the infrastructure in place and this includes the upgrades that are already in place at Indian Brook Drive Uh, 6th Street and Liberty Way, and looking at future enhancements. Would there need to be traffic signal changes? Would there need to be widening of the road? All of that is being considered, as is the utilities in place. As one can imagine, Liberty Mutual is a pretty sizable water and sewer user, uh, especially with the the size of those buildings, so we anticipate that there isn't going to be much change needed. Finally, James Verdeen, our business development coordinator, is looking at what trends we're seeing in the business world and the office world. What are the chances that a similar sized user will come? Is it better uh, oriented that it'll be a multi-tenant building or buildings? What future growth potential is out there? All of these things are being evaluated on the staff side and we're putting together some information sheets, which we'll certainly share online, with the idea that when a potential buyer comes along or when Liberty Mutual comes to us and says, we'd like to uh, know what we can do on the site, we're gonna be able to help them find the best suited user for the site. Personally, I think it's gonna be a multifaceted review. I don't think that we're gonna see another uh, similar single user come into the site. I think we're gonna see a couple different users. I think we'll see a a varied 
approach. And I think that that's going to be what's probably best for the community as well. We hope to have some public input on this process as we move through it, but it's really up to Liberty Mutual. Again, the city didn't control them staying or leaving. That's a private choice. And, and at the same time, we don't control the land, and so we don't control what will happen on the land. That's, again, private choices. But we want to be here to be supportive and help whomever develops or redevelops that site have the best chance possible of meeting community vision and needs as, as well as our own private needs and visions. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Downloads email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week.